the set phasers to stun beamers down because it is the film file the film show for film geeks by film geeks <laughs> Hello, 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 and welcome to The Film File. I am one of your hosts, Lee Ford. And I'm the other one, this guy over here, Andy Meekin. Uh, welcome to The Film File. It's been a week. It's Strangely, it's flown by. I, uh, I just remember listening to the new show, and then we're doing the next show. Where has the week gone? Because uh, I'm guessing, because I'm still in the recuperation zone, uh, the recovery position as we speak, uh, you've had a much busier and more intensive week than I have. I've just uh, I've just watched the, the the second hand on the clock tick round as I oh, as I'm not allowed to do anything until tomorrow. I can leave the house tomorrow. So you've you've had a crazy week, I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, business has still been strong at work. Um, uh, last week, the podcast got away with us a bit. Uh, we did a bit, didn't that, it? I was, that, I was listening was and a, going, when will the news ever really end? Chat. <laughs> that was a really long chat, but it was a great chat. And uh, it took me, I, and we record it a couple of days early, and it gives me a couple of days to get round to editing it because work life, etc. Yeah. But it genuinely took me longer than it actually needed to and it got to be day off and I still hadn't done anything and I was like right wow. okay and I, I sat down in the morning started editing half an hour later I was like oh I can't be bothered went off and did something else went back later okay do a bit more five minutes more I just kept going back to it through the day and I was just like I've lit I kind of spent 12 hours editing this <laughs> podcast <laughs> because I've just I was sat even when I was sat in front of the computer I had Twitter open on the other page and I was finding an excuse to get engaged with every Twitter conversation that was going on. I was just like, I can't help but pro- procrastinate. Pro- I can't help. I can't say procrastinate, let alone be help procrastinating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a good, good show. I listened back. And I do believe we had, um, and it made my heart, heart warm, uh, a really positive review. Yes, from um, Unlimited Business Magazine, which is a magazine that goes out in the Sheffield area to businesses. And it's all about, you know, what businesses can do, how the how technology like can be embraced by everything in Sheffield. And it promotes and like it's excited about everything to do with Sheffield and the rising business and enterprises there and online things. Well, out of the blue, at the end of one of their articles, one of their writers uh, gave us a little shout out. Oh, um, nice. I'm, I'm going to read it out. Exactly as he's put it, podcast spotlight, film file. I only became aware of the film file recently when the hosts were featured on Harvey Morton's Social Sanctuary podcast. Hi, Harvey. Lee is a former Radio Sheffield presenter and Andy is from Liverpool, but moved to Sheffield in the 90s. What they have in common is their love of film. We're not talking passing interest here. They are serious film buffs with a ton of experience in different parts of the industry. There are more than 80 episodes, and each one is a deep dive into a movie, be it new or revisiting a classic. The hosts come across as really likeable, and their friendship shines through too. If you love a good film, either on the silver screen or the little box in the corner of the front room, you will enjoy this podcast. Now, it sounds like blowing our own horn when we're reading out something like that. but you know, <laughs> Which, which I've tried really, many times. <laughs> it really did make, like, it made us both really smile. And what made me the smile most is we've said it ourselves like off air that we feel that like we feel that the banter between us shows that we are good friends. And yeah. over this year, we've, we've said on air that over this past year and a half, our friendship has built up Absolutely. through, you know, lockdown. We were each other's support throughout lockdown. 
And it's great that that friendship is what comes through to you guys out there who are listening. We're glad that you you noticed that friendship aspect because we've always said that we want this to feel like a show where it's just two of your geek friends sat at a pub with you while you're having a drink. And you're trying to get a word in edgeways while they're <laughs> raving on about things in film that have caught their attention this week. That's what we feel that this show is. Yeah. It's We are with you in a pub having a drink. Admittedly, I don't drink anymore, so I'm just having a glass of water. But, you know, <laughs> Lee, Lee will be having some for, on behalf, my behalf. I'll, I'll be having a, a little a little uh, Jack Daniels on just for you. But a big thanks to Unlimited Magazine or UNLTD. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's it, it's kind yeah, of I think unlimited. that's right. Unlimited un, uh, UNLTD. But whoever, <laughs> yep. whatever the uh, the naming so, of the magazine is, thank you very much. We appreciate it. So and we are appreciative. Absolutely brilliant. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, you can actually check out their website, uh, UNLTDbusiness.com, and you can actually read the magazine online yourself. Give it a shot. It's a great read. Good. So. Um, but aside from that, my week, obviously working, but also I've spent the whole week of sleeping on the couch. Okay, some uh, problems with the missus, uh, something you need to get off your chest. Uh, something she needs to get off her chest. Oh uh, dear, I, I think COVID. we're going down a COVID route, are we? Yes, uh, oh, she flagged so up last Sunday as um, having COVID, so we've been socially distancing ourselves all week. She's in the upstairs room with like a, a, a cross painted on the door, like a plague warning. So I've got like a big long gas mask uh, to walk around and get rid of any cold. like Sandman. Uh, now, the, the good thing is that because she's double jabbed, she's the symptoms that she's getting are like a, are like a bad flu. Yeah. She's congested. She's a bit sniffly. She's had a bit of a sore throat. She's got to the stage now where she's lost a sense of smell and taste. Um, looking at her clothes, most people say she lost that sense of taste Ooh. years ago. Clearly, she's not she listening to this that. week's she's episode. <laughs> 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 Only kidding, Kerry. <laughs> um, but no, she's she's been struggling through it, and yeah, she she wants to get out the house, but she can't. She's still got three more days, and as a result, I've been sleeping on the couch, not getting much sleep. So I'm achy and painy. I'm a bit grumpy at times, but we're getting there. None of the rest of us in the house have flagged up with it. I'm t- doing daily oh, good tests. News. And because of the, if, if this had been the old rulings, then the cinema would have had to do without me all week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd have been forced to stay at home. I've had uh, some of the uh, students I've been teaching have, uh, have, have proved to be uh, positive. And um, there was a time straight down, you shut the class down and you'd leave. And that's only yeah. a few months ago, um, which kind of worries me because we're still one of the highest COVID um rates of infection across Europe. But yeah, but because the new rulings, because I'm double jabbed, as long as I'm monitoring myself and like checking on a daily basis, can still work. Uh, however, I have, whilst I've been getting a bit more relaxed over the past couple of months working with all my colleagues at work, this past week, I've been keeping a distance and I've been wearing the mask at all times because I'm aware that if I have, if I do end up contracting it, then I want to limit the chance of me passing it yeah. on to other people. Oh, good man. It's good to see some social responsibility. It, it's very weird to be out there and, and suddenly realise that, you know, half the world has, has, has sort of forgotten it's happening. You know, there's yeah. so many other things that are happening right now and, and I don't want to get onto a soapbox that, that COVID is now not the, the most important story in the press. And uh, um, whether we have Christmas or not, it seems to be the big story right <laughs> now. Um, Christmas remains in your heart at all times, but well, uh, yeah, so problems at the moment, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, um, electric supply for over the Christmas period. Yeah. Oh, oh, so, so many, so many issues. It reminds me of that dark winter back in the 70s when when Christmas was was deeply affected. And I remember that because there was a Christmas movie on and I can even tell you what it was. It was it was the uh, Elizabeth Taylor Cleopatra and they cut it down to run it over two nights because uh, uh, everything shut down at, I think it was about nine or 10 o'clock. And so they yeah. showed it uh, over two nights, the winter of uh, discontent or whatever it was, three day week. Remember it well? Well, I was, I was a tiny little lad, but I remember things like that very well uh, and how that affected us. But on a less gloomy note, uh, let's move on to say what's in this week's show. And in this week's show, we are bringing you, of course, our usual, selection of new stories from around the interweb we'll be doing our deep dive into robocop its subsequent sequels and reboot andy you'll be reviewing the new family animated adventure adam's family 2 i've also got voyages which landed on sky this week and another one of the welcome to the blumhouse films black as night and of course we will be finalizing our reviews of what if as the season finale aired last week. But before any of that, let's get back to Ground Zero and the news. So Andy, um, box office figures, what are they like? And I know you're going to say Bond's doing remarkably well still. It is internationally. Um, It opened in the US this past weekend to $56 million, which is slightly less than the predicted 60 million that a lot of analysts were saying. But when you consider it's almost a three-hour film, that's still a pretty decent figure. It's still one of the best debuts of the year so far. And MGM's own internal polling has discovered that 25% of the audience this weekend were heading back to the cinemas for the first time since the COVID pandemic broke out. That's promising. And that's something that we've seen ourselves in the UK with a significant number of people choosing Bond as their first chance to get back into the cinema environment and realising, actually, we've missed this. So what's the figure on then? What are we looking at now? So internationally, Bond is is still cleaning up and it's now standing at $313 million worldwide. That's a very strong amount after just two weeks. And it's still yet to open in China. It doesn't open in China until the end of the month. And that's expected to be one of the largest markets. We've said and speculated that it needs around $800 in order to break even on this. I, I think it's well and truly going to be on track for this now. Excellent. Um, I, I think that, well, I, we say this every, every episode, that um, this was the film to reignite the, uh, the flame of, of, of the box office. And clearly, clearly it has. And all it took was recognisable recognizable IP to, to do that. Yep. And I'm not saying that we said it here first, but we said it here first. We said it here first. <laughs> this, this is going to become our motto. I think it is. I think it's a t-shirt, it, isn't it? Um, I'm going to put it on the logo of the of the show. It's like, we, I'll, I'll translate it into Latin and have it in Latin around the outside. <laughs> so that's Bond. Is any anything else sort of creeping up that's looking prominent in the box office? Well, it's not really prominent, but remember last week that we said how strong an opening Venom had? Yeah. And I said, we really need to watch the second week because I think this is top heavy. Because let's be honest, the first film was a huge success because people went out out of curiosity. But the public response and also the critical response to the film was like, oh, that's a bit of a mess. And so it lost a a huge chunk of its 
fan base after that one film. Last weekend, it opened to 90 million in the US and everyone was cheering, going, this is a huge success. And it's just had a 65% drop off on its second week. Okay, that must sting. Yes, which shows that, as we speculated, all the audience that rushed out for the first weekend were just that core audience, and then it's done. I'm not surprised. I'm I'm not surprised, I'll be honest. Bond, we are hoping, will will follow suit with the international one next week in the US and hold over quite well for week two with a positive word of mouth and the, the enticement of it. But Venom doesn't really need to worry because it did have a small budget. So it will certainly break profit, but it's not going to come anywhere near where the first film went. It's reached 185 million worldwide so far. It opens in the UK this week and other markets. So we'll see how it's embraced in these territories. But I think we might see the same. We'll see a strong weekend and then it will drop off on the second week in the UK. Okay. And the final bit of um, the box office. A film that we said last week opens terribly in the US, and I think it's a shame, I'm going to be reviewing it later in the show, is Adam's Family 2. It continued to drop on its second week. It's now at a paltry 35 million box office internationally. That's not even made back its uh, its uh, animator's lunch at this point. <laughs> not even his pocket money. <laughs> Um, the film was day and date with streaming, as we said last week, and this is a theme that we're starting to see, that the day and date films suffer immensely it opens in other international waters this weekend including the uk maybe it'll find a home in the uk market especially on the run-up to halloween but at the moment adam's family 2 looks like it might end up being the last adam's family animated film because they're unlikely to make a a third one after this. and we've still got tim burton's wednesday series to keep the adam's family brand alive alive. So moving on. It's a quiet week though, isn't it? It's quite a quiet week. I think a lot of news is going to come next week, particularly because, and let's go through what's going to be happening this Saturday, DC Fandome. Yes, this weekend is the weekend that geeks and fanboys around the world have waited for since, well, since this time last year when they lasted <laughs> a fandom. Um, they, they, they've teased us with the idea of what the lineup's going to be and what we're going to be getting to, getting some glimpses of and some information of. So Ezra Miller is going to tease the new Flash film. Uh, the film is actually in the can, which was revealed this week. Yeah, so, it's finished after all that time of pre-production. Stop, pre-production, stop. It's finally done. It's in the can. So fingers crossed their tease is also going to include the first trailer and maybe some glimpses from set, which don't, which actually show what costume Batman's going to be wearing. Because let's be honest, we've got Michael Keaton back. And everyone wants that costume. If it's not there, there'll be there'll be riots in the street. Well, Keaton's already said that he's tried the costume on and it still fits. I'm I'm so excited for this. I had no love for Ezra Miller's Flash when it was first introduced, but I got some love for it, and it was the only positive that I got from Zack Snyder's um, re-edited Justice League film because I thought that did the character a lot more yes, justice. Yes, I agree with you. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in his own film. I can't wait for this. Uh, Robert Patterson's going to be there, Zoe Kravitz and director Matt Reeves, who obviously are going to be promoting the Batman. Maybe we'll get another trailer. Maybe we'll get some more footage. I don't know. Well, that's the rumour, isn't it? I did see the little teaser that they ran uh, where all the guests were, uh, uh, you know, asking you to tune in. And there was a couple of tiny, I think, little, little glimpses of unseen the Batman footage. Uh, Jason Momoa and Yaha Abdul-Mateen II are on hand to go through what's going to happen in Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Zachary Levi will be there, obviously, to promote Shazam! Fury of the Gods, another film 
that is pretty much in the can yeah. and it's just going through post-production. So we should be seeing some footage this time. Uh, we've already seen the, the costume reveals in posters and um, promotional photos over recent months. So it's about time that we got something. Now, last year's event had Dwayne Johnson bigging up the Black Adam project, but only using concept art. Now there's filming being taken place. So now hopefully we'll get to see a bit more detail of what we're going to get from this film. Um, he's going to be appearing at Fandome alongside co-star Pierce Brosnan and also Quintessa Swindle, Noah Centino and Aldis Hodge. There's also some sneaky footage of the Peacemaker TV series that's uh, that's uh, made its way into that little teaser. Yeah, because James Gunn and John Cena will be showing off Peacemaker. Bruce Tim, Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams will promote their animated Batman Cape Crusader. Kaylee Kuoko and Ron Funches will represent Harley Quinn. Which I'm loving. I'm loving, by the way. I'm loving the Harley Quinn animation. I love that it's just so bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. And that's what you need from a Harley Quinn thing. Yeah. There's going to be stuff about around Doom Patrol, Supergirl, The Flash, Superman and Lois, Batwoman. And also, it's there's going to be Grant Gustin's going to be there, Melissa Benoit, who both of them are coming to an end of their series. Yeah, Supergirl so, finishes uh, finishes first, doesn't it? Yep. So we're... It's going to be a, it's going to be a tearful goodbye for some of these. I mean, I fell out of favour with a few of them because they they suffered from like the twenty four episode se- like per season syndrome. Yeah, I I was a was a great fan of all of them when they first started, but I found after about season three that I just I just kind of gave up as they became very soap opera ish in, in their storytelling. I'm planning to jump back on board for the final seasons of both of them just to see what kind of send off they got. Um, the the fandom is going to stream on Saturday um, at 1 p.m. US time, which is approximately 5 p.m. in the UK. Uh, if it's anything like last year, go to the DC Fandom website and you'll be able to stream it there. And it also streams on YouTube, Twitter and Facebook. So if you're a fan of DC or comic books in, in particular or movies in particular, just sit down, get it watched this weekend. If you're not, then wait until we talk about it next week because I will be watching, I will be taking notes. I'm personally also hoping for the little mention of the DC Comics Infinite app rolling out internationally. Okay. Because last year, the fandom was when they rolled it out for the US. For the, like, It's similar to like the Marvel Unlimited, unlimited okay. access to DC Comics on a subscription. But they said last year that it was going to roll out this year to the rest of the world. And it's not happened yet. So I'm suspecting they're going to do a drop of it at Fando. We'll find out this weekend. Uh, while we're on the subject of DC, James Gunn has also confirmed this week that he's prepping another DC project for Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. uh, the director who gave us The Suicide Squad is just finishing up the Peacemaker TV series spin-off, but he's confirmed the news on Twitter, but isn't divulging any details or hints. I mean, this is the guy who is great at keeping secrets because there's still an undiscovered Easter egg in Guardians of the Galaxy that hasn't been found, and he's not letting anyone know what that is. <laughs> You've got to find it yourself. So It's probably grown out of all proportion. It's probably something so minor that it's now oh, become... It will be. It's become the the holy grail of Easter eggs. But obviously the speculation as to what kind of project James Gunn will go for. Look, it's James Gunn. It could be anything. It could be absolutely anything. Let's just wait for him to be ready to tell us what it is. Because now he's back online and talking with his fans on Twitter and Facebook. Oh, the world is worth living in again. So I've got a little bit of uh, Marvel goss. Some speculation and some gossip. So Marvel Studios are rumoured to developing a Monica Rambeau TV series. 
which I yep. kind of always thought was going to be on the cards anyway, especially in light of her appearance in Marvels, the Captain Marvel yeah. sequel, and a Ten Rings spin-off, uh, both for Disney Plus. We know that there is a Guardians of the Galaxy three in pre-production right now, and the role of Adam Warlock has been cast and confirmed. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's been confirmed by both the actor and the director. And who's playing it? Well, no one had this on their Marvel bingo casting card. Will Poulter be playing Adam Warlock in the third of the Guardians of the Galaxy series? So great actor. Not who I'd necessarily thought of to play, uh, to play Adam Warlock, but he's such a chameleon of an actor. Yeah. And he's a, he's a darn good actor as well. That um, I mean, everybody would have, you know, the good money was on Keanu Reeves. Everybody was saying Keanu Reeves. But I think, you know, you can never expect Marvel to go down the easy route and, and just pick the most in demand. I think the only time that happened was with uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, he's beat out names that were getting thrown out, like Reggie Jean Page and George McKay who were all into the, in the mix for the running for the role. Uh, for those who don't know who Adam Warlock is, he's a, he's a genetically perfect immortal cosmic being of, um, of well, uh, basically he has powers to do whatever he wants. Yeah. I never know what he find what his powers were. Yeah. It, whatever they want him to do, he can do it the same way that Captain Marvel can in the MCU, which that's my bugbear, but I don't mind it with Adam Warlock because that's what his character's supposed to be. Uh, he was very key to the infinity stones, in the comic law, that's obviously can't really take place in this law because the Infinity Stones have already been dealt with. So it's going to be interesting to see how they bring him in. With regards to Will Poulter, it's kind of not what I envisioned Adam Warlock to be, but I refuse to fall into that fanboy trap yeah. of instantly dismissing it because, let's be honest, we're the guys who'd always say, let's wait and see how this goes. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, fan casting is Keanu Reeves, isn't it? For, yeah. for Adam Warlock, so... So I'll, I'll wait and see what we get. I'll I'll be interested to see what kind of what kind of aspect they're going for because so far I don't think the MCU has really let me down with the casting. No, no, it's always it's renowned for its great casting. I don't think they've ever really taken a misstep with casting. Even when they've made characters that seem so diametrically opposite what they are in the comics, it's kind of worked for the MCU. And yeah. on that subject, Catherine Han will be reprising her role as Agatha Harkness. Now, Agatha Harkness in the comics is ancient, grey-haired, wrinkly, looks like a prune. Um, but Catherine <laughs> Han is far from that. Let's be honest. She's delightfully, deliciously gorgeous. And she's got that... She's Oh, she's just got that edge to her. Anyway, I've, I'm a huge fan of her. <laughs> if you're listening, Catherine Han, I'm, I promise I'll say stop hi. stalking you. Come by. Say hi. But say hi. Um, but she's been given... A spin-off. Well, we'll look forward to that. Um, see where it goes. I mean, it's just everything at the moment is uh, is, is is happening our way. Yeah, um, as well as her own spin-off series, which will spin off from One Division. She's also been mentioned for cameoing in other MCU projects. <coughs> the babysitter for the Fantastic Four, anybody? Um, <laughs> specifics for the plot of her series are under wraps, but it's rumoured to be a dark comedy, of course. And One Division's Jack Schaefer is going to write and produce. So I'm excited. I'm yeah. very, very much excited. So talking of casting, we talked about this a fair few uh, weeks ago. We speculated that Killian Murphy would be the star of Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. And it seems as though we, we were right. He is to star in the title role. Yep. He's worked with Nolan before. 
he was a firm favourite, and he's he's got the right kind of approach. He, he he kind of he kind of looks like what you think Oppenheimer would look like if you'd never seen a photo of Oppenheimer. Yeah, but yet the he, he's going to star as Robert J. Oppenheimer, the American wartime head of the Los Alamos Laboratory, and the father of the atomic bomb, who did a lot of work for the Manhattan Project. Uh, production on this film is going to begin in early 2022. And it's based on a script from Kai Bird and the late Martin J. Sherwin's book, American Prometheus. And we now have an actual release date that they're targeting, which is the 21st of July, 2023. So you can start counting down the days now. Yeah, and coming from Universal. Yes, it's a first film away from Warners in quite some time. Mm. Um, One other piece of breaking news. Did you know that they're, and we're talking of Adam's family earlier, that there's going to be a Metal Men in movie and it's in active development. I wasn't aware of that. Who's behind it? Uh, Barry Sonnenfeld has confirmed Ooh. that he is, uh, whether he's is attached as director or producer, but he is attached to Metal Men. It's still early days. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be a movie or it's going to um, HBO Max, but um, Barry Sonnenfeld, who was up at one point to direct Spider-Man, has, uh, has announced that he will be uh, running the show on that one. I like Sonnenfeld's style of filmmaking. Yeah, he's... I think he's got... Visualist. I mean, he did that all the way across um, uh, the Men in Black series. Of course, he did it with the Adams yeah. family. But he's developing it, and uh, it's, um, in his own words, it's not specifically necessary superhero, but even in Metal Men that I am developing is going to be a very specific kind of world. It's a real world. I always like things to be reality-based but slightly with a tilt to that. So, yeah, interesting. We don't know what it's going to be, if it's going to be a movie or where it's going to be. HBO Max, but there is a Metal Men film or project in development. Maybe we'll get a concept announcement this weekend at Fando. Yeah, well, uh, as it's come prior to that, who knows? Now, I've got my Funko Pop in front of me. And oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh. <laughs> oh, I see what you we're mean. We're going yes. to talk about Pinhead. So the Hellraiser franchise, we've mentioned before that there was a reboot in the pipeline which wanted to get it back to the raw roots of what Hellraiser was. And they've announced this week the casting for the key character, the Cenobite leader, Pinhead. And it's been given to Jamie Clayton of Sensei. So agenda swap. Which, well, you say that. However, those who know the book, the short story, The Hellbound Heart, written by Clive Barker, will know that the gender swap already took place when Hellraiser was made. Because right. the character of Pinhead is, well... All the Cenobites are androgynous, but the character of Pinhead in the books is described as having a very feminine voice. So it's a female character. Now, obviously, there's a load of Hellraiser fans out there who've never even heard of Clive Barker, despite the fact he actually directed the film adaptation of his own book, and have never read the book, who are up in arms about how dare you have a female, and this is just tokenism to put a female character in such an iconic role. It's like, no. They said that they wanted to get back to the raw essence of what the story was. So they've gone back to the book. They're not just doing a remake. They're doing a re-adaptation of the source material. Uh, David Bruckner's directing, and he's previously submitted shorts for films such as the VHS series and recently had two features, The Ritual and The Night House, which showed his skill with horror play. In addition, Clive Barker himself is actually on board as producer for the film, which apparently... It's already wrapped shooting. Ah, this well, is that's another one of those films that they've waited until they finish wrapping before announcing all the casting. 
I like that. I love that they could still get away with doing this. Uh, the script came from a story by David S. Goya, but let's not hold that against it because it was given a treatment by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski, who were responsible for the screenplay for The Night House. So it sounds like it was in good hands. Excellent. I'm excited. I'm a huge fan of Hellraiser, the, the Hellbound Heart book. I'm a huge fan of Clive Barker. I'm a fan of the first Hellraiser film and the second Hellraiser film. Not so much any of the films after that, but I've always been interested and always wanted them to go back to it and give it the, well, give it the afterlife it deserves, basically. Oh, I see we did that. I, I'm less of a fan. I think we, we've mentioned this before. Less of a fan because I didn't like that kind of uh, uh, playing with geography. Clearly it was set in Liverpool, but everyone was giving American <laughs> accents and it just annoyed me all the way through. But that was a time and a place. They used to do that a lot. There's so many films where you think this isn't the States. This is clearly England. But I'm looking at you, Superman 5. Well, it was interesting. It was interesting with Hellraiser 1 and 2 because the first film was definitely set in the UK. I think, I think it'd be relocated to London because there's some shots with the London Underground yeah. and Kirsty walking through them. But then when it came to the opening section of the second film, it was a New York cop who's investigating the house. And even when it first came out, I was like, hey, what? <laughs> this this wasn't America. Uh, but I just kind of went with it and accepted it because I, I was so loving what was getting presented on screen. Like I say, the later films in the series, forget them. Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Now, this is one of the many Transformers projects that we've spoken about over recent weeks. And this one is ready to start filming. It's coming from director Stephen Capel Jr., and it will be a 90s set sequel to the 2018 Bumble movie. Yes, it's been confirmed. It is definitely going to pick up the threads from the Bumblebee movie and follow that same kind of tone. That makes me excited. That's interesting me more than just a, 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 another bit of Bayism. It's been yeah. a, a bit of a week for trailer drops. Did you see the Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon uh, City trailer? Yes. Yeah. I did. Should we move on? <laughs> no, because I want, I want, to, I want to have a fangasm over this one. <laughs> oh right, okay. I, 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 I detected from your tone that it was like, oh, but was I wrong? I sat and watched it. I, I sat and watched it with skepticism. I mean, I, I did love what the last films were doing, mainly because I do have a soft spot for Paul W S Anderson, which I've mentioned once or twice. Uh, but I also knew that what he was doing was not Resonance Evil. But I approached this one thinking, oh, is it just going to be like low budget schlock? And I watched it and went, mm, this looks actually quite faithful to the games. Oh, this actually looks yeah, quite Yeah, they had the shot outside the, the police station from uh, Resident Evil 2, which I, I'd noticed. I like the look of it. I like the set design. I like the style and tone that they're going for. It's no longer this high tech, like laser beam facility. It's now going back to the rawness of what those original games were. I'm on board and I'm looking forward to it coming out now. Other trailer drops are the After Party trailer, which showcases uh, Lord and Miller, who we like a lot here at the Film File, their murder mystery comedy series. Anything with Phil Lord and Chris Miller, we are in. We, we will gravitate around. Absolutely. And the reviews have started to land for Ghostbusters Afterlife, and they're pretty positive. Yes, this is the film that we were starting to doubt it has ever been made, and we thought it was just <laughs> some big scam. <laughs> to keep us all excited for something that they might make in 20 years time but no no the film is done and some people have seen it and reviewers are actually liking it 
Yeah, I mean, I I have a lot of faith in Jason Reitman looking at the, the stuff he's done previously. I think he's a very, very talented director going right back to Juno. And if anyone's going to carry on uh, with, with Ghostbusters, then uh, it, I think it's in safe hands. But it sounds as though, you know, everything's been really pretty positive about it. It's doing something different with the legacy and that still has that sense of nostalgia to it, which is usually one word which puts you off any kind of movie. It does, yes. Um, a, a lot, Most of the reviews that I've seen have said that it, it does lean into nostalgia, which obviously made my alarm bell start going off and like sirens behind me. It's like, no, you're going to hate it, Andy. But they've also clarified that it doesn't rely on the nostalgia, um, that the story is the story makes it worth revisiting the Ghostbusters franchise. It's not just a, it's not just a cash cow. It's done for a reason. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, very much. When does it open in the UK? It opens on the 19th of November. So we've only got just over a month to go before it lands. It's going to be a busy month, November. Andy, I think that's about it for the news. Not quite. Oh. Because we spoke about him last week when I did a review of The Guilty, but Jake Gyllenhaal, is a very, very busy man right now. I've noticed that he's signed on to a couple of movies. So he's currently in negotiations to star in Guy Ritchie's next project, which is due to start shooting at the end of this year. Nothing is known about this film. All that we know is that it's unlikely to be his Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, which he's got the rights to. That's coming along later. It will tap into the style of his more recent films, such as The Gentleman, Wrath of Man, and the upcoming Operation Fortune. But not only that, Gyllenhaal is... Busy with, well, The Guilty finally arrived this week. We've got Michael Bay's Ambulance on the way, which has finished shooting. We've got Survival Drama, Suddenly, which is in the pipeline. And he's also attached to Snowblind, Oblivion Song, and Rob Leefield's Prophet. Now, for those who don't know what Prophet is, it's a film adaptation of Rob Leefield's period set comic. Now, I can take or leave Leefield. Yes, can't we all? Put your best foot forward is what I say when talking about Rob Leefield. Best foot forward. Yeah. Uh, it's a very small foot. <laughs> and if you're listening to it, Rob, seriously, learn how to draw feet. Uh, <laughs> it, the, the comic book is kind of a Captain America-esque super soldier out of time. Uh, Hall in the film will play John Prophet, a man conscripted by the Germans near the end of World War II and experimented on to create a super soldier. But a bombing raid buries him alive and he re- reawakens in 1965. The world has moved on, his nation lost the war, and KGB agents are tracking him down to try to replicate the super serum. Mark Guggenheim is penning the script, and extraction director Sam Hargreave is directing. So there's some solid hands there, and I like this whole aspect of it's going to be a super soldier, Captain America-esque kind of film, but where that super soldier was basically a Nazi, but now you're supposed to be rooting for him as he's being hunted down by... The new enemy, which was the KGB. That's interesting. I, I never read the image. Was it an image comic? It was one yeah. of his first, uh, when those guys left Marvel, one of the first things they did. And, and and if you remember, when Image set up, they just they just threw out title after title after title. Well, certainly Lifefield did. He had, he had tons of them. Yeah. Uh, and Profit was one of those. I only picked up, I think, Youngblood uh, and wasn't and wasn't impressed enough to stick around for issue two. So I'm not a huge fan of his writing, but, you know, you get over that and you can do something interesting with it. It's not like it's grounded in so much folklore like a Marvel or a DC that you have to be, yeah. uh, you have to you have to stick to the uh, stick to the main storyline. You can go off and do what you want with it. Because other than a few comic geeks and Rob Liefeld, who knows about it? 
Yeah, it has been on the on the go for years. Having someone like Jake Gyllenhaal involved in it makes me a lot more excited because he's really on a rise again now. And we were saying off air earlier that remember back when Prince of Persia was getting made and Jake Gyllenhaal was the next big thing and it never really panned out. But he smartly then bounced from project to project afterwards, working with interesting directors in films such as, well, Fincher's Zodiac for a start and just building up a reputation as a solid actor who can deliver on like drama, suspense, horror, sci-fi, everything. Yeah, he works across the board, doesn't he? I mean, pretty much, he's he's pretty much covered nearly every genre. Yeah. I was going to say, has he done a Western? But I, I think he has. Yeah, the Sisters Brothers. So he's pretty much, he's, so he has done a Western, so he's done pretty much every genre. And I like that about Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, you know, there was the time, interestingly enough, that he almost became Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2. Yeah, going to be interested to see pretty much everything that he's doing, but I'm interested to see profits because... <laughs> I am a comic book uh, nerd, let's be honest. And that's the news. Well, the news is that I'm a comic book nerd. (laughs) (laughs) That's old news. That's old news. I think people worked that out years ago. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Film File. It's always a pleasure to deliver the show to you. And if you're not a subscriber, then head over to your favourite podcast platform and hit that subscription button and you can get the show every week delivered right into your ear rolls alongside bonus episodes and remember to like us because we're needy and we need to be liked if you want to know more about the film file you can head over to twitter and follow us at film file uk instagram and find us film file uk you can also email us comments suggestions films that you want us to talk about films that you think that we're wrong about tell us what you think of films podcast at film file dot uk you can also look in the description there's a link down there follow it you can leave us a voice message i'd love for you to leave us a voice message preferably one which is nice which tells us what you love about films maybe tell us what your favorite three films are three films that you would take to a desert desert island with you and watch for the rest of your life anything that you want if you're a loyal fan of the film file then every week you know that we do a deep dive into a classic cult or just a film that Andy and I need to talk about. In this week's deep dive, we're going to take you back to the future of 1987. Yes, <laughs> the future of 1987. Paul Verhoeven's extremely violent but thoroughly entertaining Robocop. He died a hero. Target! And was reborn. As Robocop. A one-man police force with the strength of an army, the speed of a laser, the brain of a computer, and a body made of steel. Looking for me? Robocop. Rated R. Robocop came out in 1987, directed, as I said, by Paul Verhoeven, who was a European director. Written by Edward Nurminer and Michael Miner, starred Peter Weller. Nancy Allen, Daniel O'Herley, Ronnie Cox, and Kurtwood Smith. Set in a crime-ridden near-future Detroit, Robocop centers on police officer Alex Murphy, played by Peter Weller, who is murdered by a gang of criminals and subsequently revived by the mega-corporation Omni Consumer Products as a cyborg law enforcer, better known as Robocop. I remember going to see this. Actually, let me go back. I remember seeing the trailer for this when I went to see Three Men and a Baby. 
And I so <laughs> wanted to watch Robocop instead of watching Three Men and a Baby. So I was so buzzed to seeing Robocop when it came out. And, and it's one of those few films where the, the anticipation of the trailer just sold me. And I was in. Uh, and I think I went to see it opening weekend. And I've had a soft spot for it ever, ever since. It was fantastically, gratuitously violent. It was completely off the wall in, in the style of storytelling. It hooked into the greed is good Ronald Reagan era of politics. It, it's a satire and it's an action movie. And it's so darn clever. And when they say you can't make clever science fiction films, or they certainly said that in the 80s, along comes Robocop and, and falls between the cracks on so many different ideas that the subsequent sequels and, and reboots and, and TV series never, ever could, could get back to because you needed a visionary like Verhoeven to make that film. Uh, and it's an iconic character and the look of Robocop which again, I think that they got wrong in, in the reboot, which we'll talk about in a bit, is, is the fact that it's, it's such a classic, eternal film. Andy, what's your prime directive on Robocop? When this first came out at the cinema, I was far too young to go and see it. I was still doing my, I was still in my secondary school preparing for my GCSEs the next year. So I was young. So I had to wait to see it on VHS. I may not have waited as long as you're supposed to for VHS because <laughs> might, it might have been one of the most heavily pirated VHS really? tapes that went round at the time. Everyone wanted to see this. This was a time when like, you know, people would rent out like films or they'd get camcorder copies off a friend and then do a tape to tape to record a copy for another friend. And the first experience of watching this that I had was round at a friend's and it was the worst VHS recording uh, taken straight from a cinema screen that I've ever, ever seen. But, oh boy, I loved what I was seeing. Well, what I could make out that I was seeing. Um, it was a, a good few months later, because back then it wasn't straight to home release after three months. No, we no. Sometimes I had to wait like 18 months for something to come out. But eventually when it came out and it was a fresh mint copy was on the shelves at the VHS store, I had to rent it out and I got to proper experience the film in all its VHS glory, which is, still isn't good, really. But man, I could see the detail now. And it was it was violent. It was foul-mouthed. It used blunt force to tell a story about corporate greed, corruption and media manipulation in the guise of a wickedly fun action fest. Quotable dialogue throughout, despite this ultraviolence, or maybe because of the ultraviolence, Boy, this was appealing to the young teenage mindset of me and my mates. And so we, we watched it multiple times before we had to send it back to the video store. And then we rented it out again to watch it again. And it became a regular re-rental. We adored this film. Through the years, I've still adored it. And I can't put my finger on exactly what it is that I love about it because it's pretty much everything about it is right. It, it is. I mean, it's it, it's an absolutely unique piece of film, because, as you said, and you, and you can't reiterate it too many times. On one hand, it's a science fiction action movie. On the other hand, it's, it's social satire. Uh, in, 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 a, in another hand, it's, it's talking about identity and the lack of identity, and then it, the corruption of of corporate America. There's so much going on in it. And it, and it shines a, it shines a light up to films like wall street and, and the cynical times of the 
President's, uh, President Reagan's uh, uh, US and the trickle-down economics of the time. It's such a clever movie. It's, it, it is an exploitation B-movie, but why it, it's lasted and why it has that longevity, as well as the, the fantastic uh, costume design for Robocop and the, yeah. um, the use of practical effects for the majority of the film, it just has, um, it still has a timeless quality that you can go back to this movie to this day and see elements that we're still talking about in, in the news. We're still talking about, uh, about yeah. huge corporations, if not even more so than we were back in the eighties. It's, and that's down to Verhoeven and it's down to a very, very clever script. And apparently Verhoeven, once he read the first page, he was out. He didn't want to do it. And then he was, uh, it, it was insisted that he, he keep reading the script because he said, you know, read between the cracks. There's an awful lot more in this than just that sense of, of it being an action movie and that's how that's how satire works best you wrap it up in a package that people are familiar with and then give them something that that uh, once they saw it it makes them think and it makes it and it works on so many different levels numia's script is so tightly packed together that there's not a wasted scene without within the whole film it's balances the comedy aspects the satire with the action and the mayhem perfectly but it's all helped by such marvelous production design the the media break segments adding like a bit of dark humor in between like the main scenes and then throw in what what is just a perfect cast peter weller as alex murphy when he's alex murphy before he gets gunned down and turned into robocop he's very like casual and he's very like da 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 bouncing around and he's excitable. Then when he becomes Robocop, it's that perfect example of someone just completely changing their whole character stance to represent a different aspect. And he's apparently studied robotic movements in order to get into it, but it's not jerky robotic movements that you would have got from most robotic movers at the time. It was a fluid dynamic, like a futuristic robot kind of movement. And every essence of his motion is just mesmerizing. There's the moment when he's going through all the data banks in the police precinct to go and like retrieve from the archives information about his memories uh, to try to identify who these people are who seem to know him. And his, his whole anger stance as he's walking is still robotic, but you can tell that he's angry robotic. And it's to get that kind of emotion conveyed from behind a metal mask. It's a skill. And Peter Weller was fantastic at it. Also, has to be said, the bad guy of Clarence Bodica, played excellently by Kurtwood Smith, <laughs> has to be my favourite villain ever. Apparently, he wasn't supposed to be the villain that we saw in the film. He was supposed to just be another dumb thug. But it was Kurtwood Smith who basically approached uh, Verhoeven and said, look, can I, approach, can I wear glasses and make it that he's supposed to be some pseudo-intellectual who's just took up a life of crime? And so he just went, well, let's see how it plays. And that's how we got the Clarence Bodica that we've got. You can understand with everything that he does, why he's the leader of this underworld crime family, because he's got that commanding presence, but also the intelligence to be able to manipulate the corporations at the same time. He is, he, he's a corporate, he would, he would have been a corporate power himself, but he's realized there's more money to be to taken in exploiting others brilliant and some of the best lines of dialogue and most quotable lines of dialogue that i've ever had i recite lines of dialogue from this film at work at random 
from time to time. They just come to me. It's like, oh, guns, guns, guns. Come on, Sal. Tigers are playing tonight. <laughs> I never miss a game. You, you're I, on I, it. <laughs> it's just everything. Like I say, said before, you can't pinpoint one thing that makes this film work. It's everything that makes this film work. For me, this is a five-star perfect action film. I've got to agree with you. I mean, I'm just going to go back and just point out that Peter Weller had already found an audience in the science fiction community and was it was a lot cheaper than some of the other people they talked to. <laughs> I mean, they talked about, they talked to Schwarzenegger, they talked to Rutger Hauer, Tom Berenger, Keith Carradine. But of course, <laughs> he, he was the star of Buckaroo Banzai, which is always why I'll come back to Robocop because, uh, <laughs> you know, anything to, to see. Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we must. We must do it as a deep dive. And and Peter Weller was sort of known to sci-fi fans because of that. You know, great casting with, with Nancy Allen and the, the fact that they cut her hair short uh, mm. and, and didn't sexualize the character, got rid of any sort of romance that had been in one draft of the script. She'd bulked up, she'd put weight on and and... You know, she became a partner instead of a, 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 a the girlfriend character. She you was know. a strong female presence. Yes, uh, and you know, and, and let down a, a, again in the sequels. And of course, Ronnie Cox, who was always playing the stereotypical nice guy, got a chance to chew the scenery playing Dick Jones, which is one of the you know some of the the greatest gags in that movie. His his, his name is used by um, Clarence Bodica at mm. one point it, when when they're basically negotiating how he'll let Clarence run the all the crime and all that it's like well i think we can come to an agreement dick <laughs> and it's the pause and using his name which makes it yeah he's kind of just saying don't mess with me but uh, you've also got miguel ferreira yeah as um, bob morton who yeah. that was the first time that i'd actually seen him in things and ever since then whenever i see him i always think bob morton because he was perfect as it and ray wise who i forgot was in this film yeah he's another when, genre favorite ray wise you know until years later when i revisited it and i went hang on a minute that's ray wise playing leon loads of great names in it but all of them were just kind of side side there were b lists and c list actors but ones that you recognize from so many things and they work so well together it's really stood the test of time and, it, and it's one of those that of course because it did so well it, it, there was a sequel written by there was initial script by frank miller which we know because Frank Miller released a, a comic adaptation of his own script, but even the the version of his script and the the film that we got really, really didn't stand up to the the strength and the originality of the first movie. And then there was a third one, uh, again directed by a, a, a genre acolyte in Fred Decker, and that didn't land either. And we know that uh, Peter Weller didn't reprise for that role. There was an animated series. There was a, a, a very low budget Canadian based series, and then there was a, another one. You said there was uh, before we started recording this. There was Prime Directive. Prime Directive, which I, I didn't see. I remember the the limited, and I mean limited in budget uh, version, which was very very poor. Going back to the second film, you know, Verhoeven wasn't around. We got Irving Kirshner, his final directing gig. Sadly, his final directing gig ended up being this. Um, it attempted to retain the style of the first, but without Verhoeven's skill there, all the media satire and the corporate conspiracies just feel jokey and they don't feel tonally correct. Mm. Uh, there are highlights in the second film. that It's not all bad. And rewatching it, it was there was moments that I loved. Tom Noonan as Kane yes. was fantastic. He's the drug lord who controls the city. And Tom Noonan is absolutely magnificent in it. And there's some great action beats and some nice use of stop motion effects work towards the end. 
But the inherent problem in this, and you've already hinted at it, was Frank Miller's script. In typical Miller style, he tried to pack too much in. And as a result, the segments that do, just don't move the story forward and it causes it to stumble. The whole There's a whole 10 or 15 minute section where Robocop is reprogrammed to give him like hundreds of directives, including like help old ladies across the road and things like that. And yes, it's amusing. And it's worth noting that Peter Weller relishes the dry comedy moment of that section and really gets into it as he's like posing in the police station going, I'm feeling chipper today, Sergeant. Um, but it's an utterly inconsequential 10 to 15 minutes of runtime that yeah. doesn't actually do anything for the story. The original screenplay, as anyone who's read the comic, knows that it had even more added in. And many of the ideas that were cut down end up wearing, wearing them way into the third film when Miller wrote that. And the third film, uh, Weller was tied up with Naked Lunch, which is why he didn't return. Uh, the recasting was poor. Uh, Robert John Burke as Murphy lacks the finesse of Weller and his robotic movement suddenly becomes very jerky and jittery and, jittery and stoic. And the studio wanted to... Real, the studio realised that people like me who were too young to watch Robocop were the target audience. And so they made this film for the target audience. Yeah. It was all based on merchandising, wasn't it? Very much so, including a jetpack to give us a flying Robocop, some samurai robots that attack th twice in the film for no consequence at all, and are dispatched exactly the same way, both attacks. It's a pointless film, and it also does that thing that far too many franchises do when they get along and try to make it for the younger audience. They make a super smart kid as a sidekick character in it, and mm. it's terrible. Now, I watched the third film when it eventually got released. Now, when it, when it got released, I'd already played the video game of it that came out a year beforehand, so I knew the story. And the video game was so much better than the film that got released. And I then didn't watch it again, literally, until three days ago. And that's when I finally watched Robocop 3 for the second time. And it was worse than I remembered. It's <laughs> I've not gone back. Film. I've never gone back to it. I, I, never do it. Never do it. Just, I mean, for, for years I've owned it on, on DVD because I got the triple pack. And I could have sold the third disc as mint condition but no one had wanted so i basically looked at it i got robocop one robocop two and a free coaster <laughs> <laughs> but like you say the tv series there was the canadian production tv series that kind of went for the police procedural approach and even had him teaming up with his father in a few episodes if i remember correctly i i i, I bailed after <laughs> you zoned out, one. Didn't you? <laughs> i bailed on episode one i didn't know about the, the prime directive series that's that's the one that sounds a little bit more interesting prime directives was four tv movies of 90 minutes runtime each that tried to get it back to the feel and tone of the very first film it tried to lean back to that kind of darker corporate world but it just didn't have the budget to really do it the first episode of the prime directives was actually an adaptation of one of the dark horse graphic novels okay because i remember when i watched that first one I was, I was interested and drawn in by the fact that i recognized the story and was like oh this is a good retelling of that but then it kind of lost its footing on the next three not great but not as bad as what robocop 3 was then that brings us to the 2014 reboot directed by jose padilla uh, and starring Joe Kinnaman in the title role and also the great michael keaton as the uh, as the villain so we were talking about this when we were talking about doing our deep dive into RoboCop. And then we kind of discovered that we didn't mind it that much. And probably the worst thing they could have done was call it RoboCop. 
and yes. instead of having a uh, giving it a life of its own or trying to be a reboot or even it could have been in fact a, a, a robocop 4 and and been a cleverer film but it's not that bad it just suffers by comparison to the classic paul verhoeven film yeah i rewatched this this past week i've 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 rewatched everything robocop that i could get my hands on that's my dedication to this podcast ladies <laughs> and gentlemen i i've got a lot of love for this film i rate it quite highly because i distance it from Verhoeven's film. I pretend it's a completely different film. Like you said, the fact that it called itself Robocop is the only thing that really fails in it. It's got a great cast. You've mentioned Michael Keaton and Joel Kinnaman, but Gary Oldman's in there as well, and they're all on fine form. Yeah, Abby Cornish, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, you you know, forgetting this is a a really well-crafted film with with a good cast, but it comes down to it. It's not Robocop uh, and doesn't have the having the biting satire, and which is the first thing missing. But and I and I mentioned to you when we were going to do this, mm. it could almost have been Marvel's Deathlock, yeah, and that would have made it and uh, given it its own identity. You could have played this as, as Deathlock and had something so much better because uh, I think audience would have bought into it. But the Robocop comparison killed it dead i mean the story in this one is basically the same kind of thing officer alex murphy is uh in this instance an explosion rips him basically to shreds and he's then given a new chance to be a cyborg cop going forward but it's an exploration about what makes us human the topic of identity alex murphy is once again ripped apart and rebuilt to be a machine cop and there's a harrowing scene where he asks to be shown exactly what remains of his is human form and as all the components start to get taken away and it just leaves a head spinal column a stomach a heart and a hand and it and kinnaman sells it yeah and it's absolutely horrifying watching that one it's one of the most horrifying moments in what was a pg-13 or 12a film and some people are put off by the fact that it is that and they say that robocop should be ultra violent no it doesn't have to be if it's tackled well. And I think that this tackled it well, but drawing the comparisons with the original film made it, it was selling itself short, basically. Yeah. It's like they didn't know what were the what were the elements that made the first film successful other than a guy in a in a Robocop suit. And it's, it was the satire, yeah. the, the, the critical approach to huge organisations. And, and they were, they were soft shoot out of it. But if it had been called something else, or at least Robocop 4, you know, yeah. instead of and, instead of a set remake. it in a future further on. Yeah, it, I think it might have landed better, but it's not it's not as dreadful as you think about it. It's got a there's enough darkness in there, even though it likes that kind of uh, I don't know playful quality that that Robocop yeah. has, because that jump between comedy and uh, uh, and satire and brutal action. Um, but it's it's not as bad as as history has painted it. It's got good effects. It's got a, a likable leading man, but it likes a subversive nature to it and and the wit that Verhoeven brought to it but it's it's not bad at all what it does have is a warehouse training takedown sequence done to hocus pocus by focus and let me just say once again that anything that has hocus pocus by focus within it instantly <laughs> gets an extra star in my book <laughs> um i ran a poll this week over on the twitter feed asking the twitter folk out there is the robocop reboot movie as bad as many make out or do you feel that it should be appreciated more? 3.6% said it's a great reboot. 39.3% said it's okay. 39.3% also said 
it's average at best. And 17.9% said burn it with fire. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it seems that it seems that majority of people think that it's it's okay to yeah, I didn't mind it. So they're kind of in the same framework as what we are, that we feel that there's something definitely there. It just shouldn't have been called Robocop. We'll be taking another deep dive in next week's, but if you want to catch Robocop, you can find it on well, you can find the reboot on Netflix and Amazon Prime at the moment. For the original trilogy, you'll need to subscribe at this point in time to the MGM channel. They've got those first three. Um, Amazon Prime also have two of the Prime Directives mini-movies on there to check out. See what you think of them. Go in with low expectations. You might enjoy them. So I've not been to the cinema. I've hardly watched a thing. But my man, Andy Meekin, has taken that bullet for me and has plenty to talk about this week, starting off with Adam's Family 2. On this Adam's Family vacation... Time for some family bonding. This is cruel, even for you. Secrets will be revealed. I remember the night Wednesday was born. It was a Tuesday. And I put all the babies back where I found them. Huh? I think. <laughs> On their biggest adventure yet... We need to stop that family so the truth can come out. Fire in the hole! The Adams Family 2. So, Adams Family 2. The first animated outing for the Adams Family was, for me, a surprise joy. It was inspired much more by the old comic book strips, only with a modern twist, rather than being inspired by the TV series or the very popular movies. So I was quite pleased to get a chance to spend time with the creepiest and kookiest family around once more for a sequel. And this time, Wednesday is starting to have thoughts that maybe she doesn't belong in the family. And when a lawyer comes along claiming that she was switched at birth and might not be an Adams after all, it all starts to make sense for her. Gomez, however, refuses to accept this and insists on a family road trip to bond the gang once more. This is National Lampoon's Adams Family Vacation, pretty much. A dysfunctional family taking a road trip because the father insists it will make them close as a result. And the added subplot of Wednesday believing she isn't part of the family. A scientist who's impressed by her work on genetics modifications. An experiment on Fester forming a running gag throughout the film. And I'm more than happy with what we got. It's an excuse for, a different, for different hijinks in different locations. It's zany and it's childish and it's fun. And I had a great time with it. The voice cast are all solid adding personality to each of the roles. Oscar Isaac as Gomez, Charlize Theron as Morticia, Chloe Grace Moretz as Wednesday, Nick Kroll is an excellent fester, Javon Walton as Pugsley. And whilst Bette Midler doesn't get a lot to do in this film because Grandmama remains at home and has a house party, she still drops a few zingers of her lines. And that's not to mention the inclusion, once again, of Cousin It being voiced by Snoop Dogg only with his lines recorded backwards. Overall, this is a film with a very young target audience. If you're willing to embrace the childish antics of the whole thing, much like the first film, there's a lot of fun to be had. If you're not willing to pretend you're eight years old again, then maybe just wait for Tim Burton's reimagining TV series instead. But for me, I was all over the Adams Family and I am definitely around if they're going to make a third one. Yeah, I had a good time with Adams Family. I, you know, I know the, uh, the original animated one got got a bit of stick and i know this has got a lot of stick but i'll watch it if it comes onto streaming i'm i'm not adverse to it i didn't think it was it was that bad the first one i'll stick around for the sequel what else have we got so next we've got black as night 
Now, this is another in the Welcome to the Blumhouse series of films for Amazon. And this film sees a teenage girl with low self-esteem find confidence when she discovers that vampires live amongst her community and they're preying on victims. She teams with her friend, uh, a boy that she's always pined for, and a very peculiar rich girl to take the fight to the monsters and attempt to clean up the neighbourhood. As with all Welcome to the Blumhouse productions, there's a social commentary aspect to this. This time the focus is on racial historical issues and politics. However, it is unnecessarily laboured here and it only serves to diminish the film, taking away from what otherwise could have been a Buffy-esque vampire film with a bit of fun. The gang hunting the vampires bears some similarity to the dynamics of Joss Whedon's show. There's some small touches of Lost Boys ideas in here and you get the feeling that the first-time director, Maritz Lee Go just didn't quite know which ideas to work with and which ones to put to one side. There's some nice stylistic choices. It's not all bad. There's some great vampire design and the set design really makes it feel gritty and rough-edged urban. But sadly, it's not enough to offset the lack of atmosphere and the complete absence of peril. There's a voiceover narration that doesn't help things either. The cast are generally appealing But the overwhelming sense by the end of it is that there's a good film somewhere in here buried under a pile of incomplete ideas. I'm still not drawn to them. Um, Funny enough, I watched some of the Oats studios on Netflix over the weekend. And while while the production values are fantastic, they're the Neil Blomkamp's productions. I I found them very unrewarding. Uh, They were a little bit alike uh, Blomkamp. They are lots and lots of styles, some great ideas that just don't always gel into a coherent storyline. And then finally, Andy. Voyages. Your favourite three words in the English language. <laughs> a Sky original. You look different. What are you talking about? You changed everything about you. You're not feeling what I'm feeling. A little jolt. A bolt. Bite. Written and directed by Neil Berger, who gave us the intriguing and rather decent Limitless and the less so engaging Divergent, Voyages is a young adult sci-fi film starring Ty Sheridan, Lily Rose Depp, Fionn Whitehead, Colin Farrell and a bunch of others who will probably also scrub this from their CV. Set in the future and a new planet has been found for mankind to colonise. But the trip there could strain the psyche of the crew. It's an 86 year journey which would require multiple generations. So a plan is formed to clone the crew in labs and then subdue their emotions via medication to prevent space madness. Along on the journey with them is Colin Farrell's scientist who grew attached to the kids as they grew. However, when they discover the chemical subduing them, hey-ho, they stop taking it and society begins to collapse. This is nothing more than a modern interpretation of Lord of the Flies and examinations of society when that society is in isolation and how groupthink Rational and irrational emotional reactions and the divide between morality and immorality is strained. Sadly, however, it is dull and lifeless throughout. Even when the cast of characters are supposed to be freed from the chemical shackles that kept their emotions in check, there's nothing in their delivery of lines that even hints at any emotion. And by the end of this film, which took its time coming in a most predictable manner, I couldn't care what this micro-society ended up at whether they totally collapsed or found order again, or whether the ship would arrive at the new colony. I cared nothing for any of the young adult characters within this whole mess of a sci-fi film, and was not surprised to discover that this was another Sky original. 
a flopped film that Sky have shelled out for once more. So anything that we've discovered with the term Sky Original on, please take that warning to heed. We'll we'll bite that bullet for you so you don't have to sit through it. And when occasionally, and I mean very occasionally, one does land that is enjoyable, we'll be there for that one. But remember, we're biting that bullet for you. Well, <laughs> Andy is. So what have we got? Are we still in Bond land or is there plenty landing this next week? Well, uh, at cinemas this week, Venom Let There Be Carnage arrives, as does Halloween Kills, the latest in the Michael Myers um, slasher series. Ron's Gone Wrong looks like animated fun for all the family. Yeah, good reviews I've, I've heard on that. Good good word it of looks mouth. charmingly brilliant. And The Last Duel, which is Ridley Scott's latest epic outing, on streaming, Now TV and Sky gives us The Little Things and Breaking News in Yuba County. On Netflix, There's Someone Inside Your House. On Amazon, we've got Crimson Peak, It Chapter 2, and the TV reboot of I Know What You Did Last Summer. And, and, and none of those really bowled me over whatsoever, apart from the cinema releases, so I'll be at the <laughs> cinema rather than watching streaming. So we've been doing this every week. Uh, we have been watching every week and reviewing what if the mcu animated series that begs the question what if we've seen what the multiverse is capable of what if all their stories led to this TikTok boys this mission requires a team chosen across time and space they are the guardians of the multiverse all right here we go you pick them. What if all episodes now streaming on Disney Plus? What if this week was the season finale, episode nine, with the title "What if the Watcher broke his oath?" And it followed on from the well cataclysmic events of last week's episode, as Ultron possessed the Infinity Stones and therefore threatens the fabric of the entire multiverse. And we get tie-ins from some of the previous episodes. So we got the return of Captain Carter. We got Star-Lord T'Challa. We got Party Thor. We got uh, uh, Killmonger. And we got um, Gamora from an episode that was supposed to land but didn't because of COVID, um, which I'm sure we'll get in the next season, all to take on the might of Ultron. And boy, and I said this with the, the previous episode, the animation in this uh, in these last two weeks has been phenomenal. Yes. And it reminded me an awful lot of Akira. I think it had such a cinematic scope to it that, that came across absolutely beautifully. And I think it was a great ending to, to the series. As simple as that. And there's not much more I can say about it, but I thoroughly had a good time with it. All the problems I've had with the series, the the kind of cliffhanger endings, all paid off in this last episode, and I and I thought it was a uh, just a great treat of an episode. If I was to pull any fault from it, the absence of that Gamora episode meant that it just felt a bit forced that she suddenly takes this gizmo out that can crush Infinity Stones. It was like, yeah, that, that was a bit of a bit of a MacGuffin, wasn't it? And also, Killmonger just felt like it was pointless to the whole thing. He didn't really offer anything to the whole thing. I agree. I'll give you that as well. On the positives, Armin Zola. Hell yeah. Armin Zola in robotic body form. I want in the MCU full stop. Uh, <laughs> so it was great to get that moment. And overall, 
this was an epic finale. It was an epic final battle, and it was a much better Age of Ultron than the Age of Ultron movie was. This yeah, gave the genuine that. threat that Ultron was. We got to see what we didn't get to see when he was misused, poorly utilised in that earlier Avengers film. So it was a chance to show non-comic book audiences how menacing Ultron really is. Absolutely loved it. It was a great end to the season. I'm excited for season two. I'm interested to see where they go. And it also had a, an end credit sting, well, a mid-credit sting as well, which uh, brought a bit of a tear to my eye. Yeah, it was nice that it's that it's been very, very character-driven, which I've enjoyed about What If, rather than action-driven. And by the time we got to uh, episode nine, the payoff was that it, it that it was action-driven, and it was it was beautifully, beautifully done. I'm for all the faults of that uh, we pointed out in the series, uh, this kind of made up for me. It wasn't it wasn't absolutely perfect, and everything you've said, I totally, totally agree with. Um, but I, I had a good time and you know what it was fun and that's and sometimes that's just enough to take away that you've just had a good time you've had fun with it I look forward to season two which apparently is in the works with yep. the missing episode as part of that and that's about it for this week folks um, but before we go and we do this every week Andy and I will tell you about our neat thing something that we've watched read heard played with you name it as long as we've enjoyed it and it's been pretty neat We'll tell you all about it. Andy, historically, always goes first. So, Andy, go first. So, um, I'm going to kind of cheat today because I was going to talk about Seinfeld or landing on Netflix because, man, it's a chance to re revisit all of the seasons of Seinfeld. But then I watched the latest episode of Only Murders in the Building. And whilst we both covered that previously as a neat thing, I wanted to talk about how stunning this episode was because it was a silent play and it's so marvellously done. But then I saw the season finale of Ted Lasso. And so I decided I wanted to talk about that. And it's that point that I realized that what I want to present as my neat thing this week is just streaming TV as a whole. From allowing access <laughs> yeah, to beloved classic shows like Seinfeld to modern day productions that are artistically brilliant, only made us in the building, or emotional roller coasters that defy their base sitcom roots, Ted Lasso. We live in a glorious age of entertainment. I can always find a new or old show to dip into on the streaming services. I adore finding something new to tide me over for a few weeks. Indeed, on this show, we regularly talk about the MCU shows. Whatever your bag, the streaming services have it for you. Get exploring. Feel free to message us with your picks of shows that you found via streaming, old or new, and I'll be sure to check them out because there's so much entertainment and it's all there, just a click on the remote control away. That's my neat thing this week. Well, my neat thing is down to streaming as well. And it's been out for a few years uh, and I discovered it. And I'm, I'm not much of a binger, but I've had to binge this. And this was The Night Manager uh, starring Tom Hiddleston. Um, I know it came out to critical acclaim. It was on the BBC. I never got a chance to see it. Uh, it was on the top of, a, of, a, of my list that I should watch it. Based on a John le Carre novel. I'm not going to go into the intricacies of the plot because uh, it's just such... A, a scrumptious looking show. Uh, the director, Susanna Beer, really should have got the Bond job and perhaps will still get the Bond job because she brings uh, such cinematic quality to a, to a BBC series. Um, I'm about halfway through. Uh, I've uh, binged three episodes. I can't wait to get into the other three. And I know it came out several years ago and to critical acclaim, but I caught up with it now and I am loving The Night Manager. And it's on Amazon Prime. So it kind of backs up everything that Andy said. 
that's it for this week, folks. We'll be back again next week. Andy, I'm finally getting to see Bond this week. Yay! And we can finally talk about some of the spoilers that I have been avoiding. <laughs> You've done well to I avoid them it. because they are everywhere. I know, every time. Even friends passing emails round, I... Uh, I've, I've not had to read them because I could, I've got a feeling that's where they're going. So I'll see you again next week for another film file. Of course you will. Oh, and Andy, yeah. you're fired. Yeah.